The scene begins with a family fight about money. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. That's a loaded question right there. My guess is that we're all less than seven degrees of separation away from that kind of scenario somewhere. Families fight over money. Not all families, perhaps, but lots of them do. And it can get really messy, because for as much as it's about money, it's not about the money. All kinds of hurt and disappointment and past wrongs and disrespects get brought into it, or more accurately are at the root of it. Most of the time we all agree we want things to be fair, but there are a lot of different ideas about what fair should look like. On one level, Jesus dodges the question, Friend, who sent me a judge or arbitrator over you? Wise move. There is no winning as an outsider trying to bring an equitable resolution to this kind of situation. I mean, already the one bringing the request is trying to get his thumb onto the scale. Teacher, can you believe what my lousy brother's doing to me? So Jesus avoids the specifics of the situation and instead offers a broader teaching. Watch out. Keep yourself from all kinds of greed, for it is not the abundance of possessions that brings life. Or perhaps in a different translation, your life is in what you already possess. And then Jesus went on to tell this story about the man and his barns. If you don't mind, I'm going to give this guy a name, because he really sounds a lot like someone I know. The land of a rich man, let's call him Joe, produced abundantly. And Joe thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And Joe said, I will do this, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul of Joe, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to Joe, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. Pretty tragic outcome for the guy with the barns. What should he have done differently? What would it look like to be rich towards God? I'm asking for a friend. Like most parables, there are a couple of different ways to look at it. For one, maybe this is a story about the nature of faith. One of the heroes of evangelical Christianity that I learned about when I was a kid was George Muller. Muller was one of the founders of the Plymouth Brethren Church in England in the mid-1800s. One of the well-known stories about George Muller went something like this. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Muller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew God would provide food for the children, as God always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Muller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew you would need bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I will bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. 
It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the, the, in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. Amazing. Imagine the faith it would take to have 300 hungry kids sit down at the breakfast table and lead them in prayer, giving thanks for the food that you didn't have to give them. But apparently that's how life worked for George Muller. He and his wife opened and ran five orphanages in London, caring for over 10,000 orphans in their lifetime. And famously, George never asked for financial support. He never ran fundraising programs. He never told anyone what was needed. He simply prayed constantly. And whatever was truly needed was always somehow provided. For Muller, faith was enough. Fundraising, long-term planning, those kinds of things were counter to the work of faith. God knew what was needed, and God would provide. Regarding this parable, I suspect that George Muller would point out that building storage barns can get in the way of faith. Having plenty of reserves shifts our gratitude and our trust onto our own merits. What need do I have for God if I've already stored up everything I need for myself? Is that what Jesus is saying, that earthly treasures are antithetical to the riches of God? Do our plans and preparations keep us from trusting God to provide what we truly need? Or maybe this is a story about justice. This story about a man building bigger barns to store all of his wealth of grain would have carried particular weight with Jesus' Jewish audience. The origin story of the Hebrew people, the Exodus story, begins with exactly that setup. Pharaoh had an abundance of grain in a time when others did not have enough. And rather than share it, Pharaoh conscripted a group of immigrants to build barns, to build entire cities dedicated to storing his surplus. And so what started as a blessing, as God's provision in a time of famine, became a curse for the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. That's a major theme in the narrative of the Hebrew Bible. Building bigger barns leads to oppression, slavery, empires built on the suffering of the powerless. In the parable, Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with barns in general. The man had some barns already, and apparently God never showed up to scold him about those. It was the move to build bigger barns that was the problem storing up food that could have been sold to feed others, manipulating the grain market at the expense of the hungry, putting his own enjoyment and felt needs ahead of the immediate needs of his neighbors. That was what led to his destruction. Barns are okay. Hoarding is not. I don't know if that's the interpretation Jesus intended or not, but I think that's where a lot of us live. I save, and I also give. I make financial plans for anticipated expenses down the road, but I also make plans to be generous at every stage of life. I do accumulate stuff, possessions, and experiences, but I try to do that responsibly and ethically, assuming that's possible. For sure, I store up treasures on earth, but I try to balance that out with heavenly treasures along the way. And yes, I do eat and drink and be merry and relax, it's summer in Saskatchewan. 
Winter is coming. So yes, I am building some barns, but they're not excessive. And if you have a real need, my door is open. At least that's how I like to see myself. Global pandemic does have a way of exposing some of the limits of that approach. I'm not sure if that's what Jesus was getting at here, but that interpretation certainly has been a popular one with Christians from the first to the 21st centuries. Barns are okay, hoarding is not. Or maybe this is a story about finding contentment. Remember that Jesus told this story in, re in response to the man who wanted his brother to share an inheritance. That sounds like a call for justice. I only want my fair share. I only want what's coming to me. But Jesus responded with a warning that even standing up for your rights, working to get what you deserve, that might not be as fulfilling as you imagine. Watch out, he said. Keep yourself from all kinds of greed, for it is not the abundance of possessions that brings life. All kinds of greed. Covetousness. Good King James version word. It's about comparison, about wanting what someone else has. If your drive for justice has as much, is to have as much as others do, if equality is your measuring stick, even getting what is fair might not do you much good. For what is fair will always be elusive. It'll always depend on whom, to whom you're comparing yourself. There will always be someone else with more barns than they deserve. What is fair is a moving target. It's beyond your control. But what is in your control is how and what you choose to value. Back in my university days, I scored an easy English credit when I signed up for a class called The Bible as Literature. After 13 years of Christian elementary and high school, I was ready for this one. But it ended up being a totally unique experience to be surrounded by non-Christians taking the Bible seriously in this secular setting. They were reading it closely, trying to figure out the appeal, trying to understand it on its own merits instead of automatically giving it authority as the word of God. I remember one class where we were looking at Jesus' teachings, and of course that meant talking about money and possessions, because that was what Jesus talked about most of the time. And so in the class, this conversation was mostly about how hard it would be to be a follower of Jesus, to be a true follower if you really did what he taught, because Jesus didn't own anything, and apparently he wanted, to, wanted his disciples to give up everything as well. Sometimes that seemed like a literal command to leave their boats behind, their possession, their profession, and their sole source of income. To others, this call was at least an ideal of following to let to let go of their own hopes and dreams in order to follow. And to these university students, that seemed like an impossible demand. I mean, we had big plans, earning degrees, getting good jobs, financial independence, upward mobility, all that stuff. To that kind of wide-eyed optimism, Jesus' call to follow, it seemed total, it seemed harsh. To give up everything that they wanted, What's the point of life when you can't get what you want, or at least pursue what you want? But, speaking of wide-eyed optimism, I was fresh off a year of Mennonite voluntary service, where I had lived in a service unit with an extremely tight budget for everything, 
I was given $40 a month as a stipend to live off of beyond the basics of food and housing. So, in my idealism, I thought I knew just what Jesus meant. That a life free of possessions, free from craving, that kind of life is not actually a sacrifice, but joy. That is freedom. So I said that out loud to the class. Jesus isn't asking anyone to give up what they want. You can have everything that you want, as long as you're willing to change what it is that you want. I thought that was pretty deep for a college sophomore. Not everyone in the class was excited that was as excited about that as I was. And I'd have to say that I have struggled to live that out with much integrity. But that self-quotation has stayed with me because I still think that is what Jesus is getting at here. Keep yourself from all kinds of greed, for it's not the abundance of possessions that brings life. What brings life is what you already have. You can have whatever you want. It's working out what you really want that makes all the difference. That's the work of a lifetime of faith, moving from chasing what I want to pursuing what I really want, to move away from my treasures and towards the riches of God. So this is a story, story about faith, a story about justice, a story about greed and contentment. I don't think it's important to single out which one is the correct interpretation. I suspect that all three are in some ways woven together. What I hope is that this story of Joe and his barns sticks with you for a while, perhaps worms its way into the conversations you have with your own soul tonight. I'll close with a prayer based on Psalm 37, written by King David, another man who struggled to reconcile his desires with the call of faith. Don't be troubled by evildoers. Don't be envious of the corrupt. They'll soon fade like the grass and wither away like unwatered plants. Trust in Yahweh and do good, and you'll dwell in the land and enjoy security. Delight in Yahweh, and you'll be given the desires of your heart. Commit your way to Yahweh and trust in Yahweh. God will take action, making your vindication as sure as the dawn and your integrity as bright as noonday. Be still before Yahweh and wait patiently. Don't fret about those who amass great fortunes and carry out their schemes unchallenged. Let go of your anger, leave resentment behind, and stop worrying. It produces nothing but that which will be cut off. But those who put their hope in Yahweh, they will inherit the land. A little while longer, the violent will be no more. No matter how hard you look for them, they will not be found. But the gentle will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant peace. Amen.